Sir Glenn's going to come up and share a sermon with us. I am going to do that. Good morning to all of you who are watching. Thank you, uh, Mark and Jolene, uh, for that beautiful worship this morning. I noticed at the back we were uh, watching the Facebook Live as many of you are plugging in, and you guys have friends back in Ontario. Did you, did you know that? Fam family and friends who are, are watching and plugged in today and listening to your beautiful worship this morning. So thank you for that. Uh, yes, my name is Glenn, uh, pastor here at the Rock Church. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, I really want to welcome you uh, to this. Uh, it's, uh, again, this is, a, I don't know if you know this, but this is sixth week in now for us as the Rock Church here in Squamish, British Columbia, uh, doing church like this. Uh, where we are gathering together. Uh, there's five or six of us here this morning, uh, Jolene and their kids and, and Jeff on the sound and video, and we're gathering like this, and, and you are at home via Facebook Live, and, and of course, um, we, we have been exclusively broadcasting uh, for the past six weeks on Facebook Live, and I say exclusively because uh, previous to that, we were actually on Facebook Live for about 18 months, so we got some practice in doing that. While we gathered together here as the church in our building in downtown Squamish. And so I just want to really encourage you that if you're watching and visiting with us here today and you're not normally an attender or a member, uh, visitor of the Rock Church, that you can, uh, you can catch all of our videos online. Um, it's particularly important related to the kind of series we do. Uh, today we're going to be back in the Gospel of Luke, and so you can check out the previous messages. Uh, you can go on iTunes and listen to the podcast or on our YouTube channel just to catch the sermon videos. And you can find the links to all of that on our website, which is at therocksquamish.com. So I, I really want to especially today invite, uh, uh, welcome, pardon me, those of you who are visiting online potentially for the first time. Uh, maybe there are some of you who are checking out church uh, and, uh, and the gospel and the Bible and the teachings of God's Word for the first time in a long time. <laughs> and for some of you, maybe the first time ever. And so I really want to welcome you here today. It is, it is our hope, my hope as a church, that you will get to know the person whom we do this uh, for and, and it, the person to whom we believe it's all about. And his name, of course, is Jesus Christ, who is the risen Son of God. And so here's what we do weekly, generally at this time anyway, after worship and some announcement, is we open up, up a, a book of the Bible, um, and, you know, this, this uh, simulated leather, actually, this is real leather. My wife bought me this new one. It's awesome. Uh, this uh, book, which is actually a collection of 66 books that were written over a period of 1,500 years by 40-plus authors, and, and the amazing thing about that is that uh, every single book is synced. They, they, they relate to each other. They tell basically the same story, which is who God is, what He has done, who then that means you and I are, and how then we should live, but it's really all about Jesus. From cover to cover, every book tells us that. And so what we do is we, we go through these books of the Bible, and so it would be a really good idea if you're visiting and new with us today that we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today in chapter 17. I mentioned this last week, it'd be a good idea for you to have a Bible with you. And if you don't have a printed Bible, your own version, you can go online and to any app store, uh, whether you're with a, an iPhone or an Android device, and you can download the ESV Bible app. It stands for English Standard Version, which is the version that I preach and teach from. It's a good, reliable translation of the whole Bible, and in particular, the New Testament. So before I uh, actually read today's text, which I will, I will do, let me also encourage you with this, and I've seen a little bit of it on Facebook Live this morning. 
Um, besides you plugging in and tuning in to watch and be with us, invite your friends. Invite others. You could, you could do a watch party and invite people to watch along with you and participate on Sunday mornings in this way. All right, let's read our text for today. I'm going to begin reading in Luke chapter 17, and just six verses today, verses 1 to 6. So if you have your Bibles, read along with me. He, Jesus, said to His disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for Him if a millstone were hung around His neck and He were cast into the sea than that He should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the same day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, I'm sorry, you must forgive me, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord Jesus at that time, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry bush, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Let's pray one more time before we go on. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, once again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the world that we get to live in, whether it's here in Squamish or in Ontario or wherever that might be. Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful creation that you've given to us. We thank you for our lives. We thank you that we have breath, and we thank you that we can enjoy this life today. Father, we just pray today that you would be with us and amongst us. We pray that you would bring... Uh, Holy Spirit, everything to our remembrance about what Jesus had to say. These are his words that we're reading here today. Oh, Lord Jesus, that we would hear from you. So, Holy Spirit, we need you to help us in that way that you might illuminate our hearts and our minds to understand and to hear, not from me, not from a man, but from Jesus himself. So, I pray these things in his worthy name. Amen. So today, we're in chapter 17 of the Gospel of Luke. And if you know your Bible, you'll know that that means we're three quarters of the way in. Woohoo! It's taken us 18 months to get here. We're, we're pretty slow about this. Maybe it's me. But it, we're, so that tells you that there are 24 chapters. We've only got seven to go. And for the benefit of those of you who might be watching for the first time or for a few times now, and really actually for the rest of us, a quick recap, I believe, is in order. This book was written by Luke, Dr. Luke, he goes by that title, and we know actually quite a bit about him um, from his two books that he wrote, which is the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, and so the Gospel of Luke is about the, the life and times of Jesus uh, until his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and then the Book of Acts is about the beginning, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the beginning of the church, and the expansion of the church. Uh, over a period of 40, 50 years. It's an amazing book that he collects the information from. So he, he was not a Jewish person as most of the early disciples of Jesus were. Instead, he was a, a Greek, a pagan skeptic, who we believe came to faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He is described as a Dr. Luke, as a physician, but also we can clearly see that he's got the gift of journalism. He's a writer, and he collects information. And so he personally himself never met Jesus. He never physically met Jesus. He came to write this book, the gospel, about 15 years after Jesus ascended. And so he got most of his information, all of his information for that matter, if not directly from the Holy Spirit, primarily from 
those who were living at that time, apostles, even the mother of Jesus, Mary, who he interviewed. He went and talked to them, and, and they related to him all the things that he wrote in his book. And so this is especially, he writes really all about the three and a half years about Jesus' life um, from the time that he begins his public ministry. So Luke actually tells us in the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke why he's writing this book, what his purpose is in writing this book. He had a, a fellow uh, Greek pagan skeptic who'd come to faith in Jesus who was a good friend, and his friend's name was Theophilus. His purpose in this book, he tells us in the first few verses, was to write this, to get a collection, an orderly account of all of the things that happened in Jesus' life about who he is and what he had done so that Theophilus would have, now listen to this word, it's an important word, certainty, complete certainty about who Jesus is and what he'd done so that his faith would in fact then therefore be strong. So his gospel begins with the birth of Jesus. It's probably one of the most amazing uh, recollections of the birth narrative of Jesus. Um, many of those scriptures are read every Christmas by most churches around the world. And then, then a little bit of details about his early life, but then he, he skips forward to when Jesus is 30 years of age and he begins his public ministry. Over the last several months, we've been going through chapters 15 and 16, obviously leading up to today in chapter 17. And what we've noticed is, is Jesus keeps going back and forth. He, he's teaching his disciples and loving on them and, and, and wanting to encourage them about the ministry that he's going to leave to them, but also uh, getting into disputes and arguments with the religious men of that day, the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and, and really, he's calling them out consistently for their hypocrisy, um, for their pride, their false teachings, um, and most significantly recently, their love of money. And so really, he's, he, these are the, the, the leaders of the people of Israel, and he's like, you guys are supposed to be the ones teaching them the truth. Instead, you're making it all about yourselves, and you're living like hypocrites, and you're living to get rich off the people's backs. So now Jesus in this text today turns his attention once again to his followers, to his disciples who are following him. And he wants to encourage them. He wants to teach them. That means you and me too here today. So I have a question for you at this point in time in our introduction. Mm -hmm. How do you live the Christian life? Have you thought about that? Like, how do you actually live this Christian life? Or you might be asking today, Christian, who's been a Christian for a while, okay, I've been trying. I have this question constantly, so would you help me today, preacher? Well, I'm going to turn you to God's Word here and show you how Jesus does exactly that. We all know, or we should know as Christians, you should know this, we should know this, that the gospel teaches us that you and I didn't contribute, contribute one iota, one thing to our salvation. It, it isn't because of anything that you and I have done, any bar that we've reached, and any good works that we've done, and, and as a result of that, God goes, check the box, Glenn's a Christian. <laughs> nothing to do with that. Thank goodness. Had nothing to do with that. It's because of everything that Jesus has done and God has done on our behalf that we are saved. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a large portion of the New Testament, said in Ephesians chapter 2, he said these words and he synthesized it really, really well in verses 8 and 9 when he said this, for by grace, a word that means unmerited favor, you didn't deserve this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's a free gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we know. And if you don't know, I'm showing you today from God's Word that the truth is we did not do anything in order that God would forgive us, accept us, or approve of us. God did everything for us that was necessary in order that we might be made right with Him and deserve His forgiveness and salvation, this free gift that He gives to us. So last weekend, we, we literally celebrated exactly what Jesus did, right? He lived this perfect life. He died on the cross in our place and for the sins of the whole world. And then he rose victorious over sin, death, and evil. Like one of my mentors used to say to me years ago, whenever we would discuss this kind of thing, he'd go, Glenn, it's a big done. (laughs) Whenever I was worrying about, you know, how how I need to work harder to be a better Christian and, and being down on myself for the way that I behave sometimes. And he kept reminding me, it's a big done, Glenn. It's all been done. And so, we can rest knowing that our salvation is not about our doing or earning it, because if it was, we would all fall terribly short. This is the thing that actually separates Christianity from every other religion, including the religion of the Jews in that day, and or philosophy of life. Every other religion in this world, every other philosophy of life is all about you or I trying to work our way up some uh, religious practice or way of behavior into the God that we believe is at the top of those stairs that step that mountain into that God's acceptance and approval or into a, a, a better state for our lives, into nirvana. Every religion and philosophy, if you investigate, investigate them in the world today, is based on that principle. Christianity is completely the opposite. Christianity is God saying, and this is good news, by the way, you can't do it. You, you, you can't do it. Instead, what has to happen is I have to come to you. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came down to us to be with us. And so that's how we are saved. We know that, Christians. How then do we go on and live the life that Jesus has saved us for and to, this Christian life? Well, know again from God's Word that what he has for us in this life is far beyond anything we could accomplish in our own wisdom and strength. Oh boy, since my early 20s, I don't know how many times you've done this, but how many times in my life I've said to myself, I know how I can really have a great and successful and happy life. I'll just go and do this. Boom. (laughs) Yeah, some things worked out well and other things were just dead ends. But God has a perfect plan for our lives and, and he knows how to do this, but it won't be, listen, in our own wisdom, in our own strength, thankfully. So, how do we live this life? How do we live the Christian life that God has saved us for and wants to give us? Is it, listen, simply fully depending on Jesus, right? Jesus, take the wheel. There's a song out there. It's not a great song, but, you know, full dependence on Jesus. Since we depended on him to die for us, for the forgiveness of our sins and to save us, Do we just depend on him to actually live this life for us? Or is there actually something that we must do? Is it about dependence or discipline? (laughs) There's a great word. How about grace or obedience? 
Is it just resting by faith in Christ, or is it about working out our salvation? Here's the answer. Yes. <laughs> Pretty simple, right? It's both and. So let's see what we can learn from this brief passage today and how we can put these seemingly divergent ideas together and grow in our faith and our walk with Christ. Your sermon title for today, go figure, is How to Live the Christian Life. I hope to show you three things from this beautiful passage today. Number one, be watchful. Number two, be responsible. And number three, be faithful. Number one, be watchful. Let me put the first two verses on screen for you. And he said to his disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, look, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So, so again, I, I have to do this. Please hear this. Imagine, take yourself, transport your back. There, there are a bunch of disciples around, probably about a hundred of his disciples are there at this time. That's about how many were following him after about three years, faithfully following him every day. And, and this is him speaking to them, okay? The Son of God who loves them and you and me. He's saying these words to them. So we're seeing a regular pattern here for Jesus, as I've already alluded to. If you remember back to the beginning of chapter 12, I mentioned at that time this was a huge pivot. It was a, it was a change in the gospel. This, this was Jesus going from preaching and teaching to the crowds who weren't all listening to him and to the religious guys. He'd just been at a dinner party at a Pharisee's home, and it didn't go well. <laughs> the Pharisees really didn't like the things that he was saying to them. He was like, whoa, Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're these guys. It, was, it wasn't good. <laughs> And then chapter 12 begins with this, this, this point where it says at the beginning of chapter 12, in the meantime, when a multitude, a great gathering, literally thousands of people were gathering to hear from Jesus again, Jesus says to his disciples, first of all, he looks at the, the few that are following him, the 50, 60, maybe 100 people that are following, and he said these words, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The Pharisees can still hear this, Okay. The doors are open, the windows are open, they're still following him. So his warning to his disciples then was really, really simple, right? They all understood, you know, how to make dough and what leaven did, right? You only need a little pinch of leaven. I'm not a baker, but I found this out from some ladies that I know. You, know, you only need a little bit of leaven to put into some dough, and then what happens is you leave it for a little while, and then it... it yeah, the, the leaven spreads throughout the whole dough. And, and the point is, that's what it's supposed to do. So when it comes to baking or dough, it's a, it's a really, really good thing. But the lesson for them was this, that Jesus wanted them to understand. It was this. You just need to play the part of a hypocrite like one or two times. Just a couple of times. To be hypocritical about your faith, about what you believe in front of other people. And then after a while, you, it'll, it'll just spread throughout your whole person. You will end up being the hypocrite. And, and worse, <laughs> your hypocrisy could spread to others. Others could be seeing your behavior and how you're acting and the way you're living your life, your friends, your family, your kids. It spreads. Hypocrisy, like leaven, spreads. So he, he wanted them to know, you and I as well, that if that happens to us, 
our life as a Christian won't really be much good to anyone, including you and I. It, it, it won't amount to what He wants for us. And so here in these few verses, He's teaching the disciples another lesson in the same vein, in exactly the same vein. But this time, it is very direct, and listen, it's not in the form of a suggestion. You know, these are not three suggestions on how to live the Christian life. No, in the first case here, it's a command. I mean, look at it. Let me put it this way. Jesus is essentially saying this in the way that He put this to His disciples. You'd better be very watchful of yourself. Of course, temptation to sin is going to come. It's all around you. Of course, it's going to come. But hear me well, don't you be the one or the cause of one of my little ones following you and falling into sin. Now, when Jesus uses the phrase little ones, he's not talking about kids. He's talking about baby Christians, people who are young in their faith. He says, listen, it's not going to go well for you if you do. Don't let your weakness towards temptation and sin cause anyone else to become weak and therefore sin. And then he tells us what the consequences will be. He's honest. He's honest. It's one thing I've always loved, and I'm sure you do about Jesus. The consequence will be this. Dying a horrible death, he suggests, would be better for you than what's waiting for you if you are not watchful. This is serious stuff. He's talking to his disciples, so he's also talking to Christians. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation potentially, but there is still always a consequence to our actions. I read uh, somewhere recently uh, about uh, a pastor's prayer meeting. I believe it was in a commentary. Um, They were at a prayer meeting, and one of the pastors prayed for all of the other men in the room near the end of the prayer meeting. He prayed this, Lord, If any one of us here tonight are about to commit adultery to be unfaithful to our wives, please take their lives on the way home tonight. I can just imagine there were a lot of amens in that room to that prayer, right? It's a good prayer. It it, it encapsulates what is actually being said here by Jesus. It would be better for you than for you to do that and then not only ruin your marriage but your family and your relationships. So if you think about it, and I have, our world is very much uh, like a proverbial maze when it comes to temptation and sin. Those who are the intellectuals among us, you know, the modernists who have declared God is dead, um, that he's a myth, he's a distraction, you know, just a crutch for the weak, uh, they make it easy, quite frankly, for many people to mock Christians mock Christianity, to mock the church, and Jesus himself. Christians can do that too, you know. Christian intellectuals can do that too. Those who are criminals, I mean, legit, literal criminals, um, find it one of their favorite pastimes is to invite others to do the same things they're doing. It's one of the reasons why it's no joke, really, to say that prisons are often a breeding ground or a recruiting center for criminals and criminal activity. Then all we have to do is, of course, look at the music and entertainment idols who are idols, your idols, everyone's idols, who who tweet, who text, who pretty much sext all the time, right? And they offer us a buffet of temptations and sins that lead us to... Well, certainly, they lead many away from the truth 
and from the life that Jesus has for us and for them. And of course, this is exactly what Jesus was getting at here. There are even some in, in the world of faith, and this is what he was getting at, even some in the world of faith, in world of faith in the church, pastors and teachers who will fall prey to spiritual compromise and th through their actions lead many, many others astray. They, they, they not only do that through moral and ethical failures, but also through false teaching and false doctrine. Th there are preachers out there today who preach a prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. And, and why? For their own benefit. They promise you that you will get rich, but first you need to make them rich and you need to send more money. This is what Jesus is getting at here. This is what Jesus is getting at. So Jesus is commanding his disciples, look at this, to be watchful over themselves so that they do not allow the inevitable temptations that will come their way to cause their downfall. I've already suggested this. I love this about Jesus. It's so honest. It's so simple. And obviously what he's saying to you and to me is keep your eyes open. Be alert. Be watchful. You know the difference between right and wrong. Be watchful. Number two, be responsible. Verses three and four say this, Jesus speaking, so pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, and if he sins against you seven times in the same day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So he's taking being watchful here, obviously, at this point to another level. And it's, it's the level of what? It's the level of community. It's the level of discipleship, I want to suggest to you. Yourselves here is in the plural. It's a personal plural that he is mentioning here. And it's like this. Be responsible for yourself, yes, but also for each other. For each other. It's, I've said this many times, and many other pastors have said this, that the Christian life, listen, is not a solo journey. Now, <laughs> uh, some people would like to suggest it can be, you know, just me and God and creation. They can suggest that all they want, but let me be really blunt with you. From my personal experience with people like that, I want to suggest this. It's just not true. That's primarily so that they can just continue to live their life the way that they want with no one watching over them, no one to be accountable to. We need to be responsible, Jesus is saying here. So look at the life that Jesus lived. Look at the life that he lived, especially from 30 until 33 and a half when he was crucified. His, his life from the moment that he started his public ministry, he started calling men and women to follow him. And not just follow me for like one Sunday. No, follow me every day. Let's go. He took them on a road trip for three and a half years, those who were faithful and stayed with him. They lived in community together from the very first day. For the next three and a half years, they lived day by day in community, eating together. He provided for them. They, they really had no money, but God continued to provide for them. They lived in community as a family with everyone, and, and they truly followed him in those days. During those times, he, he taught them about the kingdom of God, what, what it what it took to get in, what it meant to be part of the kingdom of God, how he was going to die for them, and, and that was how it was going to be accomplished. He, he taught them all these things, and it's, it's in these books. 
It's in the Gospels, and that's why we read them. It's amazing. Right here, Jesus is teaching his disciples and you and I, if we are his followers, that we are to be responsible for ourselves and for each other in the church as a family. And the only way that that's going to happen, friends, is if we truly live life together in community. And so that's why at the Rock Church, for the past 10 years since we started this church, we call people to three things, and the first two I'm going to mention to you this morning. The first is we call people to to faithfully gather here on Sunday mornings. Okay, so things have changed, and, and normally when we did that, we would call you to faithfully gather. Why? So that, yes, you could sing worship songs. Yes, you could hear the Word of God, but so that you could also be together and fellowship and hug and shake hands. Okay, we can't do that anymore, right? So, so but God has given us this, this, right? He's given us Facebook Live so that we can, we can come here and we can, we can broadcast this to you and, and so that we can gather together, we can do life on life together. So let me encourage you about that as well. Let me suggest to you in this time, if you're new with us today or you're a regular attender of the Rock Church, say hello. <laughs> say hello to someone. Go ahead. You can do it right now and I'll wait, okay, on Facebook. Say your amens, comment, participate. Be responsible for yourselves and for each other by by living life on life together. And so that's why we do that. Secondly, we call everyone to faithfully attend a missional community group in our our church. And this this one is key. It's key to the life of a follower of Jesus. Again, it's different now because of the coronavirus, but what we do every week now is we meet on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, and Thursday nights. Um, We have leaders who live in their homes that we used to go to, but now we meet via Zoom. And we gathered together, and normally we would have gotten together and had food together and eat dinner together like a family, and then we would go into God's Word that was preached on the Sunday before, and we would, we would talk to each other about it, and we would, we'd, we would ask each other, hey, how did that speak to you? How did that impact you? And, 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 and again, what that requires is, is we need to show up for each other. We need to actually be there in order to be responsible and play a part. And, and of course, once trust is established amongst us, we, we, we can become honest with each other, right? And we can admit our failures. We can admit our temptations, even our sins and our falling short of the good life that Jesus has for us. And then in community together and in love, we can experience the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of each other and the blessing and encouragement of each other because we're a family. Let me ask you this, honestly. Wouldn't you like to take the mask off? We all wear masks. We all wear masks. Everyone in this world does. Our profile pictures on Facebook, okay, you all look great. I get it. But we're all presenting ourselves in such a way, in a way that we want people to see us. We're all afraid that if, I, if, I, if that mask comes down and people know exactly who I am and what I do and what I think, they won't want to be my friend. They certainly won't love me. This is what we need to do. This is what Jesus is, is inviting us into and encouraging us to do. And that's exactly, listen, what he wanted the Pharisees and the scribes to do. These guys were masters at wearing masks. Big robes and big hats and bling 
you know, and, and front row seats at the basketball, okay, there was no basketball, but, you know, like the best seats in the, in the marketplace, they wanted to be seen by everybody to be these religious dudes. Masks. Jesus loved them. That, that's why he kept preaching to them and, and calling them out. So notice the pattern here in this particular section. The pattern is this. We confess our sins, our failings to one another. That's the first step, by the way, in repentance. And that word literally from the Bible means a change of mind, a change of direction. It's you and I having a change of mind about what we've done, the direction that we've been leading our own lives and we've been going, and agreeing with God that it's the wrong direction and we want to turn around and we want to follow Him in the direction that He has for our lives and the way of life that He wants to give to us, which is far more exciting, again, than anything that I could come up with. And I want to encourage you, probably, that you can come up with as well. Then we receive His forgiveness. We know it. Listen, all of your sins, if you're a Christian here today or you become one here today, are forgiven at the cross. So, so there's no need to continually work your way back up into God's approval and acceptance because you failed. But the point is, it's this ongoing repentance and understanding and, and being watchful and being responsible that helps us to grow into the life that Jesus has for us. Number three, be faithful. Verses five and six, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry bush, now Jesus again, it's amazing, eh? he, he's literally just, uh, okay, there's a bush over here, I'll use it as an illustration. That's what he was doing here. Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. I love this. I, I love this so much. It's a great illustration. But did you notice something? The chapter begins with Jesus turning to who? To his disciples, the approximately 100 men and women who were following him. And now at this point, it's the apostles. The, the 12 men that Jesus has handpicked to be the foundation of the church and to write most of the New Testament, well, all of the New Testament, is written by apostles or other men who were uh, saved by the, through the ministry of the apostles. They're the first ones to step up, and it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's, it's, an, it's not an ask, it's a, please, it's a pleading, increase our faith. This is a wonderful thing to see these men be the ones who are asking that. Leaders stepping up and saying and modeling for them in those days and for us today, oh, we need more faith. Increase our faith, Jesus. So first, the Paul apostles are acknowledging what all of us should be, and, and, and that is that what Jesus is asking of all of us is actually really, really hard. It is hard. The Christian life's not hard, but some of these things that he's asking us to participate in are, are hard. It's not easy to keep watch over ourselves and, 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 and be alert and keep our eyes open to temptation and sin and not give in. It's not easy. It's not easy. But also then, to open ourselves up, to take off our masks and admit to one another, our friends, other Christians who look holier than I am, admit to them our sins, 
And, and then to top all that off with forgiving others who have hurt me, offended me, or sinned something that I think is really bad, something that I would never do? Yeah, that's a lot to ask of us, Jesus. We're going to need a lot of faith to do that. Or listen, maybe it's obedience, right, that we need. Either way, the truth is what? We, we need something. We really need something. And that's the point that Jesus is making here. Just like there was nothing, listen, that you and I could do to save ourselves, to earn God's acceptance and approval, but it was all the work of grace of God, so too we need Him and His power to live this Christian life. And it's by faith as well. It's by faith as well. So, so Jesus uses this really simple proverbial illustration that He sees right there, where, where He basically says He compares a small little tiny seed, a mustard seed that grows into this huge bush with a mulberry bush or a tree. And so his point is really quite simple, but not evident unless you think about it. I mean, he's not saying this. He's not saying, like, come on, a mustard seed has faith. Like, you need to have faith. Like, he's not saying that, right? It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor. It's an illustration, right? So he's not saying that. But he's also not saying this. He's also not saying this. If you just had a little faith, you could tell a deeply rooted mulberry bush, something that would take the strength of a Samson. If you had a little bit more faith, if you just work at it, you could, you could pull that thing out and throw it into the ocean. He's not saying that. Why? Because that's not true. Or at least that's not necessarily the way it works. And finally, listen, he's not saying you need much more faith. He's saying this. He's saying what we read earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 2. He's saying that it's by the grace of God. It's a gift of God. And then Paul finishes in verse 10 with these wonderful words that teach us what it means to ask him for more faith and how we actually live this Christian, Christian life today. Paul wrote these words, for look, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Christian life is His work too. His work too. But there is something that we must be in order for that to really take hold. Two things. We need to be devoted. And we do need to be obedient. So in conclusion, let's be sure to be watchful over our own lives and behavior. Let's be aware of how we are living our lives, about our words and our deeds, and, and who's seeing them, who's watching us, whether our family members, our children especially, but also those who we come in contact with who are, are not believers in Christ going, this guy's a Christian? We've got to watch over ourselves. Truth is then, if we're Christian and wishing to live the Christian life well, we need to show up, don't we? We need to show up when we're being watchful. We, we need to open the word of life. We need to open the words and teachings of Jesus. We need to take Jesus' exhortations to heart, seriously, and not cause any to stumble. That's hard. <laughs> we're imperfect. We need to ask for faith. 
and he'll make it possible. Secondly, come on, let's be responsible for ourselves and each other. And again, listen, this is completely and totally dependent on you and I showing up for one another. Friends, please hear me. Members of the Rock Church, regular attenders of the Rock Church, we're not such a large church that I don't know most of you. Um, your names and your faces. Every month we get together as elders and we talk about our missional community groups, about you and about how they're going and how you're doing. And here's what I know to be true. Not all of you are in a missional community group. This week, may I encourage you once again, this life, this life that you're being called to and Jesus died to give to you is not a solo journey. You need us and we need you. Join a group this week. Zoom in with us this week and share life on life with us. So finally, Len, let's do this. Let's go and live this great life, (laughs) right? That Jesus died and rose again to give us. And listen, it's okay. It's okay. You need to ask for more faith. I, I need to ask for it. Not I was thinking about this. Not every day, not only every day, at several times during every day. Think about that. But it's okay. Jesus just simply says, ask, and it will be given to you. You want wisdom? I'll give it to you. You want more faith? I'll give it to you. So friend, you can do this. Better, we can do this. Best, he will do this in you and through you and me. Pray with me, would you?